Hey, White Sox fans, it is Southside Sox Podcast 13. I'm your host, Brett Ballantini. Happy early holidays to all of you. And we've got a special treat. Another first time, I think, pretty much every time around here. It's a first-time podcast guest, and it is first-time, relatively first-time player to the site. It's Rob Coletti. He's joining us uh, from uh, the uh, lair with uh, a dog cameo in the background, Christmas tree in the background, uh, always looking super sweet. Appreciate you hopping on during the Thank busy you, holiday season and joining us. We have our first Paisan podcast. I've been waiting all my life for this. So that's right. This rolling too. Uh, Rob, uh, I'm going to try not to be too much of a uh, School of Rock fanboy here during our first podcast together, but to give us a little background and uh, sort of how you came to us and yeah, the Sox. Sure thing. Well, first of all, that's Chewy. He, <laughs> Chewy! He, he is a part Corgi, so. half, half German Shepherd, and he's my, my favorite little mascot. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, so I'm a a professional actor and uh, I've always um, had a predilection towards writing and with the COVID world as it is, I have found myself thirsty to speak my mind. And um, more, more recently uh, you might have seen me do something called school of rock, a little famous movie. I was in the national touring production that came through Chicago and 40 other cities in the States. Uh, I was also doing the Book of Mormon, which is another small little show that has had moderate success on the Broadway. Um, and uh, I've been very and fortunate. And, and let me interrupt you. I mean, when you say you've been in it, it you know, I, I I might be led to believe, okay, well, look at this guy. He like uh, he was the guy who was sweeping in the background during it. I mean, you know, let's <laughs> give yourself some credit. You're playing the lead in School of Rock. That's not That's exactly true. you know third chorus voice. So. Correct. Yes, I did play the Jack Black character. <laughs> Uh, and I did play the Josh Gad character in those two shows. I've been very fortunate to have some good, good stage presence early in my career. I'm next up. I'm doing. Uh, you've ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Uh, certainly have. I'll be doing the Broadway show of that, playing playing Lester Bangs, the Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Get to be uh, slightly crazed, which uh, maybe is perhaps a hallmark of your stage presence. It is, it is. And we, we did a little pre-Broadway tryout in San Diego last year before the pandemic hit, and it was really well received. So we're excited to bring it to New York. Before we get to the White Sox, because let's just spend about a half hour talking about something that has things that have nothing to do with the White Sox. Right? <laughs> Tell me this. Does the fact that every single popular or semi-popular movie now become a play in a touring production, is that a good thing for you? Or do you prefer things that maybe haven't already been done? Is it a challenge to be able to, you know, sort of reinterpret things for the stage that, have, that people are already familiar with in a movie? How, is, that a, is that a love-hate thing? How's well, that? it's a great thing for me yeah. because it provides career opportunities. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, I also, I think that one of the great challenges when it comes to creating content is that it's very few and far between that you find something that's really of highest quality, the highest order. And unfortunately that translates across the board. So you're not going to have every single brand new musical or play that's written isn't going to, you know, win every award that's possible. A lot of them struggle to get their feet off the ground for a reason. And, you know, there's, there's an enormous market. Broadway is a business like anything else. Uh, people want to go 
on their vacations to New York City to see Broadway, and they want to enjoy the live theater culture that is it's so famous for. Actually, I just found this out um, last year. Uh, Broadway makes up nearly five percent of the annual revenue in the state of New York every year, which is an enormous percentage given how much of everything there is in the state of New York. Um, so, you know, if they're going to sustain, uh, success, if they're going to sell tickets, uh, one of the major foundations to what goes into launching a show is, will it sell tickets? And a built-in fan base is one of those things that will inevitably bring in foot traffic just from seeing something they recognize. Uh, Almost Famous is one of those, no question, but I wouldn't say that it falls into the trap. There are certain shows that were a movie and the the play doesn't translate. I would actually argue that the play from Almost Famous competes with the movie for being just as good, if not better. And Cameron Crowe, who wrote the movie, would tell you that himself because he's told me that himself. (laughs) Joni Mitchell came and saw the show in San Diego, and she said that she thought the play was more effectual than the movie because of its you, you being in the room with these people and feeling the gravitas of these very serious moments in this young man's life and all the people in his peripheral. Um, so all this to say, I think it's a great thing as long as the material, the source material is worthy of mining in the first place. Uh, the next challenge, I'm going to just decide, I'm going to throw out your next challenge and that's going to be, you're going to have to play the, you're going to have to play the lead or close to the lead in uh, Greece too when it. <laughs> right? so, I don't even I don't even remember what character that would be. I just remember being hurt personally by that movie. So find a writer connection. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny you say that. My fir- my first professional show was uh, Greece. Uh, <laughs> and it's, then it's natural. Then it's you know, it's got to be. You gotta, it's built you into see my what happened. Sure, got to do it. All right, we we will be seeing more from Rob on site writing, including Meet the Players, which everybody's done, and I'm going to start rolling all of those back again. We ran probably 10, 15 of those a couple years ago when we started at Southside Sox. Now that we're all back, we'll probably do some reruns and, of course, bunch of new people that we have as well will do theirs but as a little bit of a teaser i'll date myself and say that my year of coming into white Sox awareness south side hitmen 1977 uh, tell me about how you first got into the white Sox, uh rob and maybe first game you saw or or those types of memories my first known photograph of me that <laughs> isn't at the hospital is of me at the age of one in a socks onesie with the blue and red lettering across the chest uh, in a stroller at Comiskey, one year old. I have been, uh, I've been bleeding the black since I was still wearing diapers and proud to say it. Um, I, uh, you know, obviously there have been a lot of ups and downs over the last 30 some odd years that I've been watching this team. Um, the ups have been fantastic and the downs have been the opposite of that (laughs) to put it lightly. But, um, I think that there's a special connectivity between Sox fans. They, they understand something that very few other fan bases get to because they're sort of overshadowed by a slightly larger team in the same market. Um, but I would argue that our fans are in it for more of the right reasons. Um, Wrigley Field consistently, I used to live blocks away from it, uh, consistently appears to me more of a bar than a ballpark. Um, and I'm proud to represent a team that uh, the fan base 
care so passionately about it, even when they are absolutely abysmal. And uh, on that note, you know, one of the criticisms Sox fans hear a lot is, well, no one shows up at your games. And I would just say, you know, I do. But (laughs) (laughs) even though not everybody does, I actually would uh, attribute that to the fact that I think our fans are a little more uh, discerning in what mm-hmm. they approve of, and they're not going to spend their money, their hard-worked blue-collar money, on uh, you know a ninety-five-dollar bleacher seat to buy thirteen-dollar old styles when um, that doesn't equate to being a baseball fan. Yeah. We've got a we've got a future touring production of this podcast going on between me and Rob. I, I suppose we'll come up with something clever. like Eyes on <laughs> podcast, but we're going to need a series of podcasts in order to address all the difference between white Sox and cub fans and the, the franchises themselves and so forth. But yes, you've touched on a couple of those things. I think will resonate with uh, most of us watching, listening and a reading. I would imagine so. That's for sure. <laughs> so on that note, let's talk a little bit about what's going on this week, which is the winter meetings. And rather than start with the mildly positive move to begin with, let's just jump right in with both feet to the thing that sort of made everybody scratch their head and, howl in derisive laughter and that is the signing and not just the signing but the near immediate signing of non-tendered uh maybe i'm estimating about 10th on the options of good right fielders to pick up and that includes trade 25th Uh, okay 25th (laughs) has now been degraded to 25th adam eaton um you know, other than the fact that he shares initials with the other right fielder who'll probably be at this point platooning with uh, immediate reactions, uh, Rob Coletti. Well, my immediate reaction was shock. I, I, you know, typically speaking, when a, when a bad move is made by the Sox, which let's be honest, happens more often than not, I just, you know, am frustrated. Uh, this this was utterly stunning to me in a very negative context, not because, you know, Adam Eaton is the worst player on the market, but because it just seems like he's the least like our club at the position. And furthermore, it's a one year deal with a one year option. The free agents at right field and all of the outfield next year, are abysmal. So the fact that we would, you know, like look for a one-year stopgap and then like leave this door open for, you know, a question mark going forward when there aren't any other free agent options coming up next year that would fill that gap, it just makes me scratch my head even harder. I mean, this is, to me, Adam Eaton is a perfectly fine player, although his stats have very clearly been in decline. He also... Uh, had a knee injury, a very serious knee injury his first year in uh, Washington, and then had, what, the bone spurs or something like that in the same season. Uh, So he's old. He's got injury history. He's clearly in decline. He also clearly has an attitude problem. And this deal reeks of the Brett Lowry deal from four or five years ago. What what was that, six years ago now? It's just – it's trying to find somebody based on their edge – to fill in a hole that, I mean, we have, I I don't like hearing this claim that we needed to be cost efficient in this off season. (laughs) You need to spend money to win. That's not a secret. I'm not even in a professional baseball community of any sort. And I know that, 
we continuously find these stopgap single year options that just are unbelievably confounding. And personally, I, I think that the best case scenario here is that, well, we get like 60 to 80 games of decent play out of him. I mean, for $8 million a year. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the possible positive spin of this in a second, but yeah. Uh, Eaton, no thanks of course to coronavirus this past season has played essentially two full seasons of his four years in Washington. So, you know, a little bit better than half the games he actually managed to, to play in. Uh, and, right. and folks, and, you know, we've got a little bit of feedback on the site too, that says, geez, you know, what, there's been a lot of positive moves. The team is really on the up and up. And I will not argue with the fact that a 95 win pace of this past, you know, mini, you know, season uh, is pleased me. Uh, com- completely optimistic about the team that invites more scrutiny, even for these small moves. We're talking about now, maybe we don't have to put together the first 15 pieces, but boy, those last 10 or those last five of the roster uh, become crucial. If you want to become something more than a joke, if you don't want to be uh, doing a hundred loss watch as we did on the site a couple of years ago, uh, you know, well, well look these- at who we're going to be going up against. Yeah. It's the Dodgers. Yeah. It's, these are not bad teams. The Dodgers don't sit around and say, hey, you know, we can punt right field because we're good at a lot of other positions. They say, hey, you know what? Let's bring in back. back. (laughs) You know? I mean, honestly, and it's it's not just the Dodgers. It's teams like the Rays and the Yankees and the Blue Jays and even the Twins, who I personally think are a little overrated. They're still a great team. Yeah, We we are going to be going against – formidable opponents at every phase of the playoffs. You cannot punt on first down. Yeah. And just because, and just because teams have done it before. I mean, remember Cardinals team. uh, Oh geez. I don't know. Under Tony La Russa that won uh, (laughs) 83 games, won the world series. Okay. uh, The nationals won with Adam Eaton in right field. Okay. It is possible. Let's just not roll it out that way. Let's become as monstrous as possible. And then let injuries and all that other stuff, you know, have us fall short. Not because, Oh, geez, we had a, plat- uh, a platoon of uh, Adam Eaton and Adam Engel in right field, and that's all we had. That's the best we had. That's the best case. Right. And furthermore, you know, it's not even that, like, it's a bad move. It's that sh- there are so many better moves. Yeah. We literally we literally had the opportunity to sign Michael Brantley, who per- personally I also think would have been a little bit of a letdown, but would have been a significant upgrade over Eaton, no matter what his defense is like. At least the guy hits 300 and has, you know, more of a clubhouse leadership quality than a guy who, you know, wanted Drake LaRoche to be the team captain. <laughs> I, I mean, this is, this is a kind of laughable in my book. Now, having said that, I do also see some of the benefit. I, I think that like having that kind of speed on the base paths, that sort of aggression in the field is something that we are clearly missing. I, I guess I just I'm hoping that it doesn't get in the way of the development of players who, unfortunately, Adam Eaton is not top dog on this team anymore. He was probably our most valuable offensive mm-hmm. player in 2016. A great year. He's probably the ninth now, mm-hmm. and I just hope that he recognizes his role because this isn't his team. It was his team in 2016. Mm-hmm. I would go as far as to say that outside of the pitching staff, Eaton probably earned that position on our squad, no matter how he felt about the LaRoche family. Well, where this he. Is, 
where he took that leadership is it's instructive here and it makes us i think both shocked that this would even be a move to make you can say oh that was four years ago that was a different guy he's a veteran now he's obviously happy jumped at getting a a a seven eight million dollar offer from the from the white Sox to come back back into the clubhouse that he sort of poisoned i mean adam eaton is having the best day of his life right now yeah he treated us like crap and just did we pay him to come back and do it again? We have Stockholm syndrome for Adam Eaton. And what does he do in his appreciation? I mean, again, another thing people think we're making a too big a deal about hanging up on a on a, on a radio he show. Oh, he over. just, you know, he just, you know, he just he just had heard and he was he was shocked by a question about Tony Arus. He's like, come on, he can't even play PR. Um, Exactly. As the cash is just beginning to back up to the front door, he can't even play good PR. Not a great sign. I'm not, am I going to get bunchy underwear about it? No, but it's not a good sign. No, and for whatever it's worth, listen, you know, I'm no well-known public figure, but I have to do press for my work. I go on news shows in every city that I'm in. I talk to the local news broadcast. I try to get people to buy tickets. They come in. Imagine if they had asked me a question I was uncomfortable with and I walked off set because I didn't like it and I laughed in their face. I would lose my job. Rob, let me just tell you. Let me forecast this. You're going to get some hard questions about Greece, too, when you go on that tour. <laughs> I'm ready. There's going to be some hard questions. And you might be tempted to hang up on me, but I'm going to ask them. I'm, listen, I promise you I will never stoop as low as Adam Eaton. All right. Well, that's a low bar, but I, I'm, I appreciate you're going to clear it, Rob. All right. Now, let's take a positive spin on that, and that is – Han is playing, he's got a long game. He has options already pretty much in hand, including perhaps even Oscar Colas coming in. We, or that there is an, another, perhaps even another signing on top of signing or a trade that's going to come into play where Adam Eaton becomes more like corner outfield insurance. Or yeah. I don't know, a clubhouse, you know, poison just to keep things exciting because it was too happy under Ricky. I don't know what the thinking would be. But there is... Of course, even though you've already been a little positive in pointing out that this is a non-strikeout bat, this is a guy who's actually going to get on base. He's going to provide defense that is, I don't know, I guess it's not worse than Eloy's. So, I mean, it's okay. Plus, yeah, okay, it's not, you know, not going to be the same. Right. Uh, but, you know, there is this other aspect that because we are jumping on this just a, a couple, I guess, in winter meetings, which, by the way, you know, don't aren't really winter meetings anymore because January and February and March and April is where all the action happens now. Uh, but there is a possible second, third step to, to the outfield picture that we don't know of yet. And Han right. may, and this could have been, you know, odd, odd for the PR, but obviously if he's involved with the White Sox, he doesn't care much about PR. No, uh, you know, not. the Rick Han says, Hey, listen, guys, I know you're, you're freaking, you're wetting your pants a little bit now, but listen, we got plan B, C and D here. And one of them is going to come through where Adam Eaton isn't going to be, a 150-a-game year player for us. Right. And obviously, I think you already said the real answer. That's that's Colas. I mean, the dude is probably going to be a White Sox. He's, he was seen on his Instagram the day before yesterday wearing a White Sox T-shirt. Mm. I, he is – obviously, he has the same agent as Juan know, Mancata. He is, you know, clearly being uh, told by our very Latin American-friendly clubhouse that this is a great place to be. I would be surprised if he ends up somewhere else, given that he has the choice to choose. Um, and I am certainly hopeful that this Eaton signing is more of a inroad to that long-term plan, as opposed to actually thinking this might be something worth our time. Having said that, I also, I actually applaud Han for not going after George Springer because I thought that was not going to be a good contract. As I made clear in my piece, I, I do not foresee the deal he's going to get, which will 
absolutely be in the 25 to 30 million a year plus range be even remotely close to the output he'd be capable of over the course of the next five to six seasons. Um, I just, I also thought that there would be maybe something a little more clubhouse friendly that would have come into play as opposed to Eaton. Having said that, I, I do, I am hopeful that we do get to Colossus at some point in the near future. And if we do, you know, at least, Adam's second year is an option, and I, I can't wait for that day where that's declined. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and you'll forgive that when the team is in rebuild, oh, you know, who cares is in the right field? And it's easier to say, hey, we got young guys, one of whom may make a, a real sprint to the majors. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and granted, in right field, there are still three, four guys uh, uh, down Charlotte and below that, you know, were on that track where you could have had that expectation they'd move fast. So that's fine then. And, of course, even now, again, if there is a plan, it's, it certainly can't be the minor league guys because they're not right. showing that they're necessarily going to even make it at Charlotte. Uh, if there's a plan, then okay, this is a fine stop. It's still, I mean, I'll say it's fine, but it's it's Adam Eaton, and I just don't understand why you invite that back, especially well, after you, you know, ransack. Uh, Washington with that trade. Right. But maybe it's a victory lap. Maybe Quintana's coming next. Uh, We'd love that. Would love to see Quintana be a flex out of the bullpen. That would be a lovely addition. I also, I think people overlook Micker Adolfo's value because of his injury. Uh, Micker Adolfo has maybe the best arm, not just in our minor league system, our organization, but all of the minors. And in right field, you know, if he bats ninth in the order, what difference does it make? He would be an incredible defensive upgrade. Maybe Eaton's presence is to coach him a bit. <laughs> and, people, and people point out with uh, Micah that, uh, you know, he had um, uh, Tommy John, he's had injury uh, problems, but when he got back to the AFL and they did actually let him play in outfield, which people weren't even um, sure of, uh, I believe uh, one of his Maybe his first game back, he did throw a guy out at second. So, I mean, that doesn't mean he's got necessarily the best arm in the White Sox system or in the minors, but the arm is not – he's not a DH. So Yeah, it probably isn't where it was projected earlier on, but I've watched video of the guy throw. He is an absolute cannon. And if if he's who's in your right field to prevent runs from getting around the base paths, there are worse players, truly. Let's uh, shift into, I guess, a a, – a more positive move, um, not completely. There has still been criticism for the Lance Lynn trade. The White Sox uh, got Lance Lynn as uh, apparently number three, though uh, his numbers, at least his war numbers, are better than the one and two in front of him. For Dane Dunning and even Avery Weems, turns out to be the second piece, a guy who uh, might be a fast riser in the system, but of course a guy that ultimately we can't project at this point being a major, major factor. So it's basically Dunning at this point for Lance Lynn. Uh, It's a rough move and a high price if it's just a year of Lance Lynn. And I think then it probably would end up being a move the White Sox regret. The fact that Lynn is at a very team, on a very team friendly contract for what he's been doing, in spite of what appears to be fitness that is, that makes me worry for a guy who's getting into his thirties. He's a guy I think you could probably ink up maybe for another couple of years and 20 million and uh, make this a deal that uh, no matter what is going to be at least, uh, at least an even win-win, if not a plus for the White Sox. Oh, without a doubt. And you know, for whatever it's worth, Look, Lance Lynn is not a sexy name. He isn't the Trevor Bauer of the 2020 season. There's no question about it. But if you look at what his statistics are in the last just three seasons, which are the most important, he is a dominant force who has finished top 10 in Cy Young voting three consecutive seasons. He's got one of the better um, – 
K to walk rates ratios in the league. The man is certainly not in the best shape, but neither am I. And I'm big sexy. So who am I to judge? I, listen, I'll just say this. From what I understand, Lance Lynn is highly respected in a clubhouse. And I am a huge proponent of the value of someone off the field just as much as on. I love the trade for Adam or for Adam. God, I'm subliminally (laughs) trying to convince myself it's all going to be okay uh, for Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn is um, already being uh, kind of appreciated in a way that I didn't expect by his new teammates. You know, I don't know if you saw what Lucas Giolito said. He's ecstatic. I mean, look, if, if all the White Sox do this offseason is sign uh, or bring in Lance Lynn and then sign like Liam Hendricks or, you know, cross our fingers, maybe Marcelo Zuna still somehow falls into the fold, you can ignore right field. And you can still say we had a pretty good offseason. And I'm hopeful that that's the route that we go. I'm hoping that these, like, cost-efficient moves are because we're still in the market here. And all we can do is cross our fingers, but we're not a complete team yet. And we do still need some more work. Having said that, Lance Lynn is joining a rotation that's pretty solid. And he's going to be backed by an offense that was significantly better than Texas. So, you know, run support is not going to be an issue. He's going to give us 200 plus innings. He's going to strike people out. He's going to be an indomitable force. You know that Tony LaRusso and him get along. So that's going to be a good match. I love the move. I think the Lynn deal is, if I'm not getting... Trevor Bauer, who you know I really wanted this offseason, I'm perfectly content with Lance yeah. Lynn. I think it's a great move. And like- Dane Dunning, I listen, Dane Dunning is a great young prospect who has a lot of potential, but he's already 26. He throws a 92, 91-mile-an-hour fastball, and he has a, l- a little room to grow still. That doesn't fit into our contention window. No matter what he projects to be in three to five years, <clears throat> We can do without him, and this is a good deal for us. I truly yeah. believe that. I'll, I'll admit, my initial take was was a little bit too um, too much ninny uh, hand wringing. Uh, you know, uh, Dunning obviously pr- profiled terrific in his short season. Uh, forget how it ended up in the in the playoffs. Uh, he was the only guy last year who's among many people they tried to throw up there and have stick. He's the only guy who really did truly stick and deserved to, though he didn't get yeah. the games and so forth. And we had the game where he took a no hitter in and people say, Oh, he pitched against nobody's. Well, we're in the AL central. I mean, what, what's a guy going to do, especially in that season where we we're only playing central teams. What's he supposed to do? You can't only pitch against the teams you're scheduled to pitch against for God's yeah. sake. But uh, you know, I'll admit I've, I've, I've taken a step off of that. Oh, I don't know. This is going to haunt us. And he's a little heavy. So his, his shoulders going to blow up or something. I admit that was, uh, that was a little bit of um, uh, well, that was a lame take. Uh, you he's, know, I like a, he's like a more talented David Wells. Oh God, you just said David Wells. Oh, you might be too, you might be too young a fan, Rob. But oh my God, David Wells. Okay, I'm gonna try to pretend I didn't hear that. Uh, uh, but no, but believe no. me, I'm not, I'm not happy about David Wells. Listen, listen. Uh, you know, but the truth is, the guy has provided. I mean, you look at just. I mean, I know people like to ding me because I'm like you know Joe War or whatever. But I mean, you look at the war numbers he's produced basically every season of his career, and they're killer. And we would kill for that. And we'd trade five Dave Dun- Dane Dunnings for that just to know that we're going to get a three war guy forget the fact he put up like whatever seven and a half uh, Absolutely. uh, uh baseball reference war uh, a couple of years ago and was on pace for somewhere you know six plus uh for a full season this year uh you know of course yes there there are you know there are some flags and age and so forth and he listen he could run after he could say i mean i never wanted to come to chicago in the first place i nixed the deal last time because i told him i was going to opt out you know whatever there's that possibility uh hey fine 
we get them for one call a year. This could still end up, you know, if it takes us to the right place, you, uh, pe- people, you and others are right that listen, we're in a position now where we can't just hoard prospects. And I've never been a hoard prospect guy. I was always behind Ken Williams when he was like, all right, Chuck, the three, four guys, how many ever came back to haunt us? And some did, but how many ever did? It was only later in his tenure, I think, where they started to come to haunt us. A lot of guys got traded that people went nuts over that never did a thing. Never, some guys never made to the majors, all those guys we chucked the, uh, uh, to San Diego for PV, uh, never really necessarily uh, got there. Of course, Clint Richard still in Schaumburg for us, but uh, he came back. <laughs> See, we're gonna just we're just gonna go out and get all the guys we ever traded for. We're gonna get Quintana back. We're bringing uh, Adam Eaton back. Uh, we got Clint Richard in the house. Yeah, uh, a very devilish world domination plan. The White Sox have to gather all the thirty-five plus year olds out there that they ever traded away. It's the new version of Ken Williams always gets his man. But uh, Rob, let's take a quick break. On the podcast here, you're going to continue to see us on the video cast, but uh, take a quick break and let's talk about uh, in the second half of this, uh, where the White Sox can go from here, having made their winter meetings, but we'll be right back. And hey, after staring at the camera for just a second, we are back on the podcast (laughs) and let's talk a little bit, uh, Rob, now about, uh, and let's dig into, I will be linking in the uh, little podcast article here. You could read below. I will uh, link your piece that you wrote, very extensive look, focusing on a couple moves, maybe neither of which are pertinent now, but maybe they still are. Uh, So let's just make it very broad and say, what can the White Sox uh, still do or what do they still need to do? Uh, to make this a successful offseason for you to feel close to 100% confident going into 2021? Well, you know, you actually said something uh, before the break that really resonates with me about not wanting to hoard prospects. And I'm I'm the type of fan, I guess you could call me, not, not much else, honestly. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy who, in support of my team, does want to see moves be made so that we can contend when the window is there. But I also think where the White Sox have always failed and that I'm hoping Rick Hahn is rectifying for us going forward is that our minor league system has always been sort of a cast off for us in terms of importance. Whereas if we take cues from teams like the St. Louis Cardinals, the Oakland athletics, Minnesota twins teams that do rely on their farm system to continually process good talent coming up into the team. Whenever they have someone fail, they can have them replaced without having to make a move. I think that's really important. And making sure that we do make deals that bring in talent that we need to be the best we can is, of course, of the utmost importance. But I think it's really equally important to make sure that we don't give up all of the farm just to make a single move or two. And I think the Cubs – in the last decade were a great example of an organization that didn't necessarily do that very well for essentially six weeks of Aroldis Chapman, whether or not it got them the ring or not is still debatable, but they gave up probably one of the top three or five best shortstops for the next decade. And if I'm in that position, I don't make that deal because now the Cubs have Javi Baez, but they don't have a second baseman. And imagine what that middle infield in that lineup would look like if Javi Baez and um, what's his name? Clay uh, Torres were right. right next to each other. I mean, that's, that's the kind of progress you don't want to hinder. So for me to answer your question, I'm hoping that the White Sox make sure that they are doing the things we need to take a step forward. And, and, you know, getting a guy like Lance Lynn is actually a great move. But I hope we don't empty out the farm for somebody that might not necessarily be 
the right fit for us. And I don't know who that might be. I was saying in my piece that I wrote that someone like Joey Gallo or David Peralta wouldn't necessarily be worth the prospect capital the Fed will command. I don't think we're going to do a deal with Texas again with Lynn just having come in. But, um, you know, for me, like, unless we're going to get someone who is not only incredibly talented, but also young enough to know that they'll contribute to our team for multiple years to come, I'm not big on the making a major trade deal. That's why I liked Anthony Santander. I think that he embodies not just the type of player that we want, but he's in the right age for our window of contention. And I also don't think we would have had to have given up a blue chip prospect to get him. I will never know at this point because we've just signed Adam Eaton. But I mean, um, for me as a Sox fan, I just want to make sure that we are continuing a balance of doing what's necessary. I'd like to see Hendricks come in as our closer or bring him back column A, who I actually would like to see have come back because of the continuity that would bring the bullpen. Um, or somebody like I said before, Marcelo Zuna, who would slot in as a great outfield slash DH flex. Um, but I also hope that we keep our farm system intact because we've done a really good job building its depth to a certain point. And if we give up too much, we're going to plummet right back down to the bottom 10 and Keith Law's eyes and, you know, God forbid. Because that's really the standards of the matter. That's, that that's the standard bear. <laughs> well, let's see. I know I'm going to leave somebody out, but we, we've, we're looking at a Charlotte Knights rotation of Michael Kopech, probably either, uh, probably one of, it seems like, either Ronaldo Lopez or Dylan Cease, Jimmy Lambert, the dude whose name is escaping me that we got from uh, Arizona uh, on waivers, uh, and I know I'm probably forgetting somebody. So the fact that we even have an actual Charlotte rotation win in even in uh, granted rebuilding years, we've had like not come on, uh, uh, Despagne, go love the name and the fact that he pitched like maybe one efficient inning, efficient inning with the White Sox when he came up. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we've had, I mean, and, and, and I know people look at AAA now like, oh, but well, AAA, it doesn't even matter anymore. That's like, that's like the bus station of development now. And really anybody who's legit is in AA and they just zoom through. And I mean, that has proven to be somewhat valid. But the fact that, I guess to your point, that we're going to have a cache of guys, arms ready to come in and either take over a fifth spot that might end up being just a swing spot. Let's say, you know, in the first place, maybe Lopez is the guy in the fifth slot just because they don't have anybody to start the season until Kopech's ready, say, you know, in mid-May or something, uh, is, I mean, you know, thank goodness. I am not in the least a prospect hoarder. I could care less for it. Any guy worth their salt is going to zoom through the system. He's going to be up there. Eloy is here. Uh, Robert's here before we even realize, you know, they made a stop in Charlotte for crying out loud. Yeah. Those are the guys that obviously you don't trade and you don't even maybe have the opportunity to trade when they're prospects. You know, again, exactly. the guy that, you know, the guys that Ken Williams got rid of, you know, uh, Hart, I mean, I, I'm going to be yelled at for saying this because obviously there's the Marcus Simeons and all that. But I mean, by and large, if you look at the huge pile of guys traded away during the, during over the years, granted, they all were just for like Robbie Alomar one, Robbie Alomar two, yeah. uh, Carl Everett three. Um, you know, I mean, so I granted that it didn't necessarily get us a ton, you know, uh, we didn't make any steals with those deals, but uh, rarely did they haunt us uh, either. And there is a point to some of that prospect uh, capital. And um, don't forget either Garrett Crochet is in our bullpen. He might very well go back down to AAA and get some that's, starts. That's the name I forgot. He's in there. Jared Kelly, who, by the way, from what he was uh, showing in Schaumburg, allegedly was lighting the radar gar- radar gar- gun up and our uh, personnel was just blown away by what he was doing. 
Jonathan Stever, who I would be perfectly happy with trading away tomorrow, is also has a bright future. Matthew Thompson, uh, Andrew Dahlquist. We have a we have a great young cache of young pitchers that will potentially have an opportunity to throw in the near future. I, I just hope we don't stop gap them from being able to be given that opportunity. Yeah, the challenge of the GM is no guy, guys who are actually going to be legitimately blocked. And as you pointed yeah. out with Torres and the Cubs, um, uh, that didn't maybe come into it. That got a little bit too much of a, a hot foot in the trade in pursuit of a World Series. You got to know guys who are blocked because you can only run a five-man rotation out there. You can only you know, run guy one guy at first base. You can't say, all right, he's my he's on my third he's my third first baseman, and I got to right. keep him in Birmingham, man, because uh, we can't we can't touch him. Uh, and I understand that is the transition that Han is is going through here, which makes things like the Eaton move a little bit uh, a little bit puzzling. Okay, uh, a, a pause here because I need to know uh, with my I just learned to pronounce Keiko for crying out loud in my ethnocentric uh, pronunciation guide. Uh, it's Santander. Santander. Okay. So because um, as we're going to talk about them, I don't want to be uh, too clumsy with the. No problem. And frankly, like my, the only prospects I consider untouchable for us that I would hope Rick Hahn also feels this way about are Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, and Nick Madrigal. At this point, even Crochet and Kelly, I'd like to keep Crochet. I think that he has the potential to be an incredibly dominant left-handed pitcher in a rotation. Um, but anybody else, I don't think we necessarily need. Um, and somebody like Santander, I would love to see if we could. I love Anthony Santander, and I think that he actually would be the perfect fit on this team. I would love to offer, you know, Adam Eaton and a couple of prospects at the season, to the halfway through the season before the deadline, to bring him over here. Adam it's Eaton, not an impossibility. And I mean, to mentor all the young rebuilding Baltimore yeah. Orioles. It's perfect. That's a Baltimore He's Orioles majorly right ready. There. He falls right into his spot in the lineup. <laughs> um, you know, back in the, uh, uh, back a month ago in the uh, SB Nation uh, sim, which I sort of uh, helmed for the third year with some other Southside Sox uh, people as part of the front office staff. Uh, one thing I want to mention because Springer came up is the attitude we took towards Springer, uh, that I took towards Springer was, you know what, if somehow there's no market, you know, based on the fact that he's got a little bit of a, a um, checkered past in Houston, I suppose, and the fact that chances are uh, the contract's going to be outrageous and it's something the White Sox shouldn't even pay. Uh, my attitude was, listen, if the market somehow fell, yeah, I did think we put a bid in uh, because, you know, at some point, I think that I think uh, I think the commissioner even checked in with me. The guy who runs it all, the, the super agent said, hey, you know, here's where he is right now. Like, 2080 or a 480 or something. Yeah. Uh, I was like, well, okay, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll throw in on that. But, you know, of course it, it got um, so massive that we, we fell out of that. And, you know, so I think the attitude was somehow if this market is like dead soft, obviously I think you, 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 you have to entertain it, but he may have been drawn to playing for a contender like us without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of, that's a guy I think you, you let uh, come to you and interestingly enough, uh, a, a Baltimore in an attempt to continue to retool in perpetuity, uh, was throwing uh, Santander out there. And I'll admit, I was not familiar enough with him. I remember seeing him, uh, I guess, 2019. You know, I'm familiar enough to know he plays for the Baltimore Orioles. But, yeah, and then looking up, I, I, you know, I quickly tried to stitch together some. It's funny, on Baltimore's end, they felt that we had either prospects who were too close to the majors or not far enough, and we, we didn't have a sweet spot. But then I might have even – dismissed out of hand say a Dane Dunning for Santander and that's something in the article you did not and I could see the logic for that because there is enormous value uh, coming with again nothing else in the system for us to say okay well right field is solved like we could have said with Luis Robert 
right field is solved in 2020. So let's just tread water for another year, even though we're supposedly contending for a World Series. You can't say that. So I think you do have to strike and make a move for an actual, true, real, non-platoon right fielder. And uh, exactly. you know, I hope there might still be some irons in the fire out there. I assume there are, whether how close Han is to striking anything. Uh, you know, who's I think there always will be. You know, that's his job. And for whatever it's worth, you know, I think I may have mentioned this in the article, Santander's stats essentially equate to a little over one season. And if it, let's just say it's one season, he has like a 2.5 war in like 600 summit bats with, you know, a 250 batting average, but he's got something like, you know, 35 homers and 100 RBI. And if you put a guy like that at your seven slot, who's also, by the way, a switch hitter and moves in the base paths pretty well for a bigger dude. I mean, he's like 6'2", 230 or something. This man is the perfect fit for our team, and he just got nominated for a Gold Glove Award. (laughs) So literally, you know, given what his salary is, it's less than a million a year. Given at his age, he's only played, you know, a season and a half. Uh, He's 26 years old. He fits into our contention window. He's affordable. The type of player who would sign a team-friendly deal that Rick Hahn loves to give – I, for me, I didn't see any other option. I figured it would actually happen. Yeah. Of course, I'm delusional. But right. uh, we, uh, we are coming on the credits rolling, so we're not going to dig too deep into this. But um, there is one big name we haven't discussed, and I imagine he is not going to make his way into a White Sox uniform in the SB Nation simulation, which is, which is a very aggressive simulation. I think it's way more real world than the could the, the the collusion baseball that we're stuck with uh, in these days, especially this <laughs> off season where everybody lost $6 billion and they all want to sell, except they don't really want to sell. Uh, Bauer ended up getting paid. I want to say not just in excess of 30 million, but he got, he was getting like, I want to say it might be $36 million a year. And obviously that's, that's crazy. But tell me this, tell me in 10 seconds or less, no, take all the time you want. Rob, tell me why, <laughs> if we're going to howl about Adam Eaton being brought into this clubhouse, why, aside from, oh, I don't know, sheer talent, why it's okay to bring Trevor Bauer into this club? Great question. And listen, for me, the reason why I think it would be okay, because obviously he threw the baseball over center field and the mound, and he got traded to Cincinnati within, like, weeks of that event. Obviously, he upset his teammates. The reason why I'd be okay with it, specifically for the White Sox, is because he got traded from the Indians, and he would get to play against them. (laughs) And I think that that would allow him – to play with an extra edge that he won't play with in uh, Anaheim or Los Angeles 2.0 now, or uh, the Mets who, you know, he doesn't care about New York. He's a California kid. So, um, you know, the other thing too is what Trevor Bauer has done in the off seasons uh, off the field for his training and his advancement over the course of the last two or three years is kind of unmatched by just about anyone else in the league. The man puts in more, off the field work than anyone I've seen. And for that reason alone, I think he's worth the paycheck, but add in that little, he came from our rival edge and he would get to beat them for five to seven years. I mean, that's something that, Oh man, was really tasty for me. Now, having said that, I also, for for whatever it's worth, the reason I was so gung ho about trying to get him is because there just isn't a lot of other opportunities on the free agent market and trading for Lynn is indicative of that. There's not like we, wanted to give up Dane Dunning. If we could have signed somebody who made financial sense, we probably would have. Unfortunately, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf is the owner. So we kind of have to go by what he's going to allow the pocketbook to look like. And a guy like Lynn fits the bill great. In fact, Lynn 
statistically is like within 10 players of Trevor Bauer over the last three seasons in just about every statistical category except for strikeouts. But even so, you know, what Lynn brings to the table is kind of like a new Levon Hernandez. He's this big bodied workhorse who will go out into the mound every day and give you a reliable six to eight. And you don't need to, you know, have him pitch the lights out. You just need to give him three or four runs and we can do that. So while I'm, I miss the opportunity for Bauer, I mean, I also think that we'd be just fine without him. I even said in the piece, I think the Sox without supplementing a single person would make enough progression to continue to win 90 games a year. The issue is just what are we going to do in the postseason? And yeah. unless we start to fill those gaps, we're going to lose again. Yeah. Rob, the haggard and withered corpses of Billy Martin and Leo DeRocher would stab me in my sleep over <laughs> saying this, but I'm not comfortable with Trevor Bauer in this clubhouse. Just his social media presence alone creeps me out. Uh, I think he's a bad dude. And while I want to root for him, and while I do recognize some true innovation that he's had and he's, he's turned himself into, well, he's turned himself into a Cy Young Award winner. That's enough for me to be creeped out. And again, I admit uh, all the old schoolers will spit their tobacco juice on me over that. <laughs> enough for me, you know, that combined with the high price tag and let's face it the fact that now it's just a fantasy pick anyway because the lights yeah. i'm sure don't couldn't possibly find the money to it's not gonna happen don't anyway. worry you yeah. can rest well tonight my <laughs> friend <laughs> God, man, i've been having those nightmares for like all of the uh, uh, winter meetings oh geez it's horrifying but uh let's see i think uh that probably wraps things up for us, Rob. I mean, we have covered a fair amount of ground here. I appreciate everybody listening and sticking with us, continuing to read, continuing to enjoy uh, what is now a family of podcasts, including uh, the flagship Southside Sox podcast, which we're bringing (laughs) to you now. We will have uh, another one coming uh, Friday, another uh, podcast debut, by the way, but I'll just uh, keep that one under wraps. And we'll have Northside Sox coming up on the weekend, which is a popular one with uh, Sam Sherman and Janice Scurrio. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to provide uh, all sorts of off-season, uh, some great off-season coverage. Uh, Rob Coletti's got himself, a, he's talking multi-part series uh, coming up sometime. Uh, I've got a few ideas in the works, my friend. Works. Excellent. Uh, we're going to have a lot of copy thrown at you, including just some fun Meet the Players pieces. We'll have Rob's up, I'm sure, sometime soon. I'll actually throw the questionnaire out to all our new people and start running out the new ones we've got very soon. In fact, I think I was waiting for the winter meetings to clear. We are going to start our prospect vote top prospect vote uh, starting at uh, number one here probably real soon maybe latest uh, uh, start of next week uh, so that's a participation series we've been doing ever since I uh, started here at Southside Sox so we're gonna have a lot of interactive stuff some fun stuff Hall of Fame votes coming up here in December as well so a lot of stuff uh, we got Rob Coletti coming in at the right time right in between well, let's say let's call him in between the almost famous the touring project in Greece 2 touring project so this is a great time it's a great window for him <laughs> well uh, almost so. famous is Broadway oh man Going to New York, baby, just like Trevor Bauer and probably James McCann. That is sweet. What is the situation given, uh, I mean, is it just all now up in the air based on the fact that nothing is really going? Uh, do you have a tentative start time of in New York? What's the situation with all we have been We have been given absolutely no information, uh, as generally speaking, everyone else on Broadway has as well. You know, this is a, an unprecedented time. I think we've all heard the word unprecedented far too many times in the last... 10 months, but we're just kind of waiting to see how things develop with the vaccine. And hopefully sometime in the spring, we'll have a little more certainty about the future of Broadway. But we're hopeful that next year or shortly after that, we'll be back on stage. 
and we'll be doing podcasts from you know somewhere backstage. We'll be hearing some some warm ups uh, going on while uh, we just sneak in a quick twenty minute one with Rob while he's uh, trying to still juggle could, his lines. I could live in Morocco, and I promise you, I'd still be talking about the socks every hour of every day. <laughs> All right, so let's make it clear now. It'll be between we're, we're catching him before. Broadway starts up and before the future of Broadway, because obviously Almost Famous is going to be such a hit. Grease 2, is, it's, it's not going to leave Broadway. It's not going to tour. <laughs> so uh, White Sox fans, Southside Sox readers in Chicago, which most of you are, you're going to have to go to New York. I'm sorry. It's going to be a nice excuse to get to New York, enjoy some Grease 2. We don't even know what character I was playing yet. We haven't even written. Come with me to the Sox series at Yankee Stadium. I went last year and I got to deal with the worst fans in America. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Ellen Adair, I believe, was tweeting from that series. She became a big uh, Eloy Jimenez fangirl, I think, that series. So I do remember that uh, that Yankees uh, series. You're right. That was uh, Eloy hitting the homers in the rain, correct? That sounds right, yeah. So, in fact, I think I was at the – yes, I think I was at the rainy game. So there you go. All right. Okay, uh, it's an open invitation. People uh, – man, I mean, obviously, you know, he may be busy. You'll see. You'll I see me with Broadway, but I'll be on the third baseline, baby. Come say hi. <laughs> you'll have the big <laughs> sign that says, "I wore an ugly White Sox uniform in between the really ugly ones and the cool ones." Now, onesie at Comiskey Park. My name's Rob. Hello. I'll That's be the fun. only. I'll be the only Sox fan at Yankee Stadium. That's how you'll recognize oh, me. Yeah, right. Hopefully, with no bruises or cuts, because you can say, "I played Dewey Finn." Back off! At some point, I'll have to tell you the story about the Yankee fans who ruined my birthday at Comiskey oh, Park. Man. <laughs> I'm writing that right down because that is an intro for your next appearance. You got it. Oh, good old ruined birthday. Well, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, for reading. Thanks for having me, Brett. Stick with us. And uh, great to have Rob Coletti with us on the very first Paisan podcast. It's Southside Podcast. Southside Sox Podcast number 13. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back with more stuff. Oh, gosh, real soon.